If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. I, I heard somebody, I was told, I uh, heard somebody say recently that was really helpful to me. said, when you think of the Psalms, the Psalms both express how we feel and shape how we feel. Isn't that wonderful? There are times when your heart is overwhelmed with, with burdens and, and, and the Psalms give words to your silence. It's a wonderful thing. But then it also shapes our feelings as it conforms us to the image of Christ. So I'm delighted that we're doing this series. Psalm 8, be encouraged, there's only nine verses, you know, so that, that's, that, that's a pretty good thing. Have you ever, um, have you ever been wowed by something? Give me an example. The one that came to my mind, my wife and I were talking about this. On our honeymoon, I, we, we got married out in California because she was from California, and I decided to go see the Sequoia National Park, you know, these big trees. And uh, I, it seemed, seemed like a pretty neat thing to do. And I remember when we got to the park, all the trees are at the top, if you've ever been there. And I'm driving up, and, you know, there's some nice-sized trees, and I was telling my wife, yeah, it's, it's okay. I mean, I've seen them in Pennsylvania. May even happen in New Jersey, I don't know. But, but you know, yeah, no, no big deal. And, and I remember we came up over a hill, and I said, wow, holy mackerel, look at that. I mean, you could drive cars through these things. Have you ever been there? Has anybody ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? But it, but it, was, it was just like, oh, whatever. And then all of a sudden I was like, good night. You've had those experiences, haven't you? People you've met, places you've seen, locations you've visited. David gives us a wow experience in Psalm 8. It's not with Sequoia National Park. It's with God. Look at how he begins the psalm. Lord, our Lord, or we could say Yahweh, the personal God that makes covenant with his people. Our Adonai, our master, our sovereign ruler. How big is your name, your person, your reputation in all the earth? David probably is giving this psalm after walking out at night and looking up at the stars. Because he's going to talk about the stars and the moon. He doesn't mention the sun here. And maybe you've had that kind of experience where you've walked out sometime and you've, you've been, there's no human lights around. There's only the stars to look at above. And you just go, it's so expansive. It's marvelous to see. And this is David's experience as he walks out and he sees the expansive sky at night. And he says, this is so good. He begins talking about God and he says, man, I'm going to put this thing to music and we are going to sing it in Israel. And that's exactly what they do. So twice, Lord, our Lord, how big, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 9, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So here's my question. 
What is it about God that makes David say that? And I think you'll find in the Psalms two things. will make David pull back and say, God, you are so big. The first one is found in verses 1 and 2. It's God's greatness over creation. Look what he says here in 1B of the psalm. You have set your glory in the heavens. Or you could say you have set your glory over the heavens. You know what I love about God, among many other things? He's not one of us. Like that song we sang, before you were, God was, after you're gone, God will be. Isn't that true? You see, God is forever. He is eternal. He stands as the creator outside of creation. And so he's saying, God, as expansive and marvelous as the heavens are, because your, your greatness is seen as I look at the heavens, you're not within it. You're outside of it. Um, I've never played with a dollhouse. It's, probably, it's a good thing, ladies, right? But, but I've had three girls. And I've watched them. And they can set up those dollhouses, you know. And, and, and if they want to put Susie down in the living room, she goes in the living room. And, and whoever else goes up here. And if you want to put somebody up on the roof, you can do that too. You can do anything you want. You just, right? God is not part of the dollhouse. He's outside of it. Which means... He's in full control. I heard somebody say, and I found this to be really, really helpful. When you think, because I want you to think about this. We've had the experience of David where you walk out and you see the, the, the stars in the sky. And you go like, wow, it's amazing. But don't we know so much more than David? I mean, he didn't have a telescope, did he? Not that I'm aware of. And what is it that we know now? One person has said this. If you assume that the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, that's a lot. If you would reduce that to the thickness of the sheet of paper. Okay? Got it? This person has gone on, went on to say the distance between the earth and the nearest star, not planet, the nearest star, would be a stack of these papers 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And each galaxy is a speck in the universe. I mean, I want to tell David, you didn't know the half of it, man. You were only seeing a little. And God stands beyond all of it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of this earth. Because you are above Everything we could ever see or explore or find or anything. God's greatness is seen over creation. But I was thinking about this. Is 
it's not just with a telescope. It's with a microscope. One of my favorite scientists to listen to is a guy by the name of Stephen Myers. If you haven't ever YouTube and listened to him, he's with the Discovery Institute. And uh, he's written a book called The Signature of the Cell. And, 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 and he's shown in the book that, that the cell, much more than we could possibly imagine, it's, it's like a mini machine. There's a whole series of digital coding that goes into it. It's just, it's far beyond. They used to talk about junk DNA. They're not they're finding out there isn't junk DNA. It all has a purpose, everything. So whether you're looking through a telescope or a microscope, all you could do is pull back and you're saying, God, you're unbelievable. And that could have happened by chance? You've got to be kidding me. God's greatness is seen over creation. This is true when we look out and when we look within. God's greatness is also seen in the way he confounds the mighty through the weak. Look at verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're here today and you're saying, you know, I love Jesus. Try to walk with him by his grace through his spirit. But I'm not much. That's all God needs. Because God says, I show my greatness by taking a child, an infant, that people say it's only a kid. And I confound my enemies through that insignificant one. So that at the end of the day, my greatness and power will be seen. We all know the story of David and Goliath, right? Kids up here could quote it. I've often thought about it like this. If I came into church one day, started walking down the aisle, and little first grader about this big walked up to me, looked up and said, Pink Finer, you're going down today. <laughs> That's exactly what I would do. Cute kid, find your mother. Quickly. Would it have been much different with David and Goliath? Can you imagine having Goliath on your, on your basketball team? Maybe he's 10 feet, he's got his hands up. He's touching the top of the backboard. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal has nothing over this guy. Be unbelievable. And that's the experience. Goliath waits 40 days for this punk kid that comes out and says, you're going down because you've gone after my God. And God will give me the victory over you to show that it's not about spears and swords. It's about God. And Goliath comes down. And Paul, in the book of Corinthians, gives us his story of all the difficulties he's gone through. I mean sickness and circumstances and loss and close to being dead and just a whole series of things in 2 Corinthians 4 and 11. And he comes through that whole experience. 
And he says, through weakness, God shows his power. Because God is great. And if David met Paul and read 2 Corinthians 4 and 11, he would say, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Not only are you in the skies above, we see your power, you're beyond it. But you use the most insignificant people to show your greatness and power. Isn't that great? You know, in the early 5th century, we read the story from one of the ancient theologians, Theodoret, who tells us about a guy by the name of Telemachus. Monk that came from the east and came to Rome, and he got caught up with the crowd and found himself in the Colosseum where they were gladiators were killing, killing one another. He was so overwhelmed that he actually got down, apparently, into the Colosseum, according to Theodoret, and, 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 and he begged the gladiators to stop, and finally one of them just turned and slit his throat and killed him. And Theodoret goes on to tell us that because of his one simple act, the gladiator battles in the Colosseum stopped. It was a significant turning point in that whole event some little monk from the east who was insignificant and meant little to anybody but God can show his greatness through it. Isn't that amazing? Oh Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. Why would we say that? Because you see his greatness in the skies, in creation, in the cell. You see his greatness as he takes simple, poor people and does incredible things. But not only his greatness, but his goodness. Look at what he says here in verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 3. And, I, and I've often thought about this. Have you ever, I don't know, maybe you've gone to the Grand Canyon or, or perhaps you've just looked at the expanse of sky and you've gotten this deep sense of God is big. I feel so small. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, just tiny, insignificant. God, you're so big and I am this. And, and, and David says, you're right. You're right. Both things are correct. God is big, and you are small. That's true, but, but, but you're going to worship him also, not only because of his greatness, but because of his goodness. Look at what he says in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings, that you care for them. David says, God, you're huge. And we are so small. And yet, you know, that's Doug Finkbeiner. 
You remember him. You think about him. Look, that's what he says. He thinks about you. God's got a lot on his plate. But he thinks about you. And he acts on your behalf for his glory and for your good. And David says, I, when I see how big you are and how small I am, and yet God, you love me. You know me. You think about me. You act on my behalf. I, wow. Isn't that marvelous? How good he is. He goes on to say in verse 5 that he then in his grace and goodness gives a commission to us. Look at what he says. You have made them, you've made humanity a little lower than the angels. So we're not angels, right? We're not supernatural beings, right? We're not divine. We're none of those things. We're part of creation. Okay, got it. So there's this order and there's where we find ourselves. But neither are we cows. Now, whatever PETA tells you, we're worth a whole lot more than animals. If you love your bunny rabbit or your cat or your dog, praise the Lord. But they can't compare to humanity. Okay? Let's be really clear on that one. Okay? You may like love Buffy, but come on, there's more to it than that. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sea, the fish in the sea, all that swim the path of the seas. See what David's doing? David is reflecting on God's goodness. And he's saying, the great God knows me. Acts on my behalf. I mean, personally. Wow. Yeah, he does. And, and, and he's given humanity every... One, one of the things I know about everybody I'm talking to right now, because you're all humans, this is true of all of us. Okay? If there's a dog under the seat, it doesn't apply. But, but for everybody else, it applies. I don't care who you are, where you've been, or whatever. I, this applies. God says from creation, he gave a commission to humanity, that they would be over animals. I, I shouldn't say this, but I, well, my son and I were talking. Um, he, my son Josh is here. He was doing some work yesterday with, with, with a gentleman who's a really nice guy that we got to meet out in the Lancaster area who's an atheist. And, um, and Josh was kind of probing with him on where his moral values come from, if he's an atheist, et cetera, et cetera. He's kind of talking about some of that stuff. And the guy basically said, I do what I do because it's all instinctive, just like an animal. Just like an animal does something, we do something. Come on. Do you think a cow ever bumps another cow and goes out into the pasture and later thinks, you know, I shouldn't have bumped Bessie? I mean, really? I mean, do you think? I mean, do you think there's ever kind of this conscience guilt? No, it's just animals don't work like us. We were created in the image of God to know Him with intellect, and will, and emotion, 
and the ability to relate. Does a cow ever sit out in a pasture somewhere chewing the cud and all of a sudden say, I wonder if there's a God? I mean, I mean, come on. They don't have that ability. They don't think like that. We were wired to think that way. Do you see? And this text says God has given us both standing, position, and also the significant mission to actually be his steward over the entire earth. Do you know when you go to work, you say, I'm just a salesman. You know what I would tell you? Then you be the best salesman you can be. You say, I'm just a teacher or I'm, I work in a science lab. Then you bring that stuff under the kind of control God wants you to be. You do it for his glory because God wants us to be about those things. You give your all to whatever you do because it's ultimately for him. And God has called us to be his steward and servant in this world for his glory. Why? Because we deserve it? No, because he's so good. He has made us as humans that we might be able to do that. Now, there's a problem, isn't there? How well do we bring technology under his glory? Now, we, 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 we're, we're technologically advanced. Would you say God is glorified through all our technological advancements? No way. Can people take something that in and of itself is good like the computer and use it for both evil and good? Absolutely. And so man is commissioned to honor God. But man has not done well with that at all. Because we are sinners. There's a very, very interesting passage. Would you come with me over to Hebrews chapter 2 for just a second? It, this passage is quoted by, by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6. I want you to listen to this. Be, be, because... David is right. David is exactly right. He's going back to creation. He's saying, God, you're so good. You made humans so that they have significance. They're created in your image. They're supposed to honor you in this world. God, that's wonderful. But the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, but there's sin in the world. And we're not doing well with that at all. So listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6. It has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. He's quoting right from Psalm 8. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, God, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, yeah, I know that Psalm. Here's the problem. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. But here's the problem. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I look, I look back at that psalm and I say this great God who is also good has privileged humanity with furthering his purposes on this world. In this world. But you know what? They're not doing well. You know why? Because we're all a pack of rebels. We love Frank Sinatra's song, I'll Have It My Way. That's the truth. 
And the writer of Hebrews says, but things haven't been subjected to humanity. The world is in chaos. Look at what he goes on to say. Look at verse 9 in, in Hebrews 2. But we see him, who would that be? Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. You know what he says? In creation past, God had the plan. Mankind was made, and in God's incredible goodness, he gives every human being significance because they are created in his image, even though they may be marred image bearers today. All true, all true, all true, because of sin. And the writer of Hebrews says, how will humanity ever fulfill its purpose? Only if this incredibly gracious God comes near in the person of his son and lives a perfect life, and lives with us as one of us, and then dies for us, and then is exalted to glory, and then as we trust him as our Lord and Savior, we are connected to him, and one day when he comes back, we will see the earth functioning exactly the way it was supposed to from the beginning. But it will never happen apart from Jesus Christ. You will never live out what God wants for you if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You won't. There's this wonderful intention from creation coming from God, the gracious God, but it's cut short because of sin. It's restored in Jesus, and there will be a transformed world because of it one day. When David gives us Psalm 8, I would want to argue, it's wonderful, but I would want to argue that the New Testament reads Psalm 8 on steroids. <laughs> we know so much more. We know Jesus. And that changes everything. My son and I were trying to come up with a proposition for this sermon. We were banging around a couple ideas. Was it Friday night? Friday night. We were just... Finally came up with something that even rhymed a little bit, sort of. So I thought, okay, I'll use it. Here it is. God is big, and we are small. But through Christ, he graciously will use us all. That's pretty good, isn't it? I can't take full credit for that one. Okay, we have, it, was, it was a bang-out job there between us. Doesn't that make you want to praise him? God, you are so great. We are so small. But you love us. And you want to use us. And only through Christ can that ever happen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Don't waste your week. Don't waste your day. Marvel at his greatness. Be in all of it. So, so much so that you just go like, I'm just so tiny. That's good. That's really good. But don't stop there. Start there, but don't stop there. And then realize how good he is. That he's made you a human. That you can actually know him through his son. And he can then transform you so if you're a housewife working at home right now with three little kids who don't even speak English yet. <laughs> He's got a plan for you. If you're sick with a chronic disease and you don't know where it's going to end, this great God is good he loves you. He knows you. He can act on your behalf. And he will use you as you rest in him. Say, I travel. I'm a businessman. God can give you purity on the trips. God can allow you to be the best kind of employee he wants you to be, not the company wants you to be, that he wants you to be for that group. All of life becomes significant, folks. Nothing is lost. When we think of that, all we can do is pull back and say, God, Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth? You are great and you are good. Father,